Welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. Today's PCOS Diva podcast is sponsored by the seven-day Discover Your PCOS Diva Jumpstart program. Jumpstart is the place to begin when you're ready to commit to yourself and jump into your healing journey. Learn step-by-step how diet, lifestyle, and mindset changes can get you on the right path. You'll be thrilled to feel your energy return, brain fog lift, acne begin to clear, and so much more. Visit PCOSDiva.com slash jumpstart for more information and to get started today. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com. There I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a PCOS diva. Look for me on iTunes, Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram as well. So welcome to another edition of the PCOS Diva podcast. I often kind of browse around Amazon books looking for uh, new and interesting books that would relate to PCOS in some way. And I stumbled upon this book uh, about a month ago. It's by Dr. Sarah Hill. It's called This Is Your Brain on Birth Control. And as if you've been following the PCOS Diva podcast for a while, you know that we have covered different angles of the birth control pill. Um, and this just sounded really interesting to me. So I, I approached the book and started reading it thinking that a majority of the book was going to be about mood, you know, anxiety, depression, um, and how the birth control pill, you know, may affect your brain in that way. But I was really surprised at all of the different ways the pill impacts a woman's health. So I begged Dr. Sarah to come on the PCOS Diva podcast, and she graciously agreed. And here she is. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So Dr. Sarah Hill is the author of, as I said, this fantastic new book, This Is Your Brain on Birth Control. She is a leading researcher in the expanding field of evolutionary psychology. She completed her PhD at UT Austin, and she's now a professor at TCU. So the first thing I have to ask you is, what is evolutionary psychology? Yeah, so evolutionary psychology is just sort of an approach to asking research questions in the general field of psychology. Um, So my background training was actually in evolutionary biology. Um, And this is like a set of theoretical principles that is sort of um, grounded in the idea that most traits serve a function um, in terms of helping to promote survival and reproduction, um, just because otherwise the traits wouldn't have been inherited. Um, So, you know, we tend to look at um, the different types of psychological features that humans have um, in terms of whether or not they might serve some sort of an adaptive function, right? So might, you know, the traits that we have help to promote specific challenges that are associated with survival um, and with reproduction. And 
you know, so it's really just an approach to research questions. And so I take these theoretical tools from the evolutionary sciences and I um, have been applying them to understanding um, human psychology and the, the sort of things that I've been most interested in with my research and that I've spent most of my time studying um, have been, um, you know, women's uh, sexual psychology and relationship psychology, um, health, um, usually, again, with a focus on, on women um, and also like hormones and their role in terms of coordinating um, women's uh, motivations. So I think that gives us such a unique approach to this idea of your brain on birth control. And I would, I would love for you to share why you decided to write this book because you, you talk about it in the book and it's really an interesting um, chapter. Yeah. So, um, you know, I am, as I noted, a psychologist and I've spent my career studying women and studying hormones and studying sex and motivation. And I, all the while that I was studying all of these things and understanding the role that, you know, our biology plays in terms of shaping who we are and even the role that, you know, women's sex hormones play in terms of directing their motivation and behavior um, all this while I was on the birth control pill and I never thought twice about it. I never um, thought, gosh, you know, given that women's sex hormones play such an important role in how they think, feel, and behave, maybe changing my sex hormones by taking the birth control pill might be changing me in some fundamental way. Like I had a complete disconnect um, between those things. And, uh, and then I went off of the birth control pill and I just felt very different. I felt like I woke up from a nap that I didn't even know that I was taking. Um, and so it was after I sort of noticed these changes in myself um, that I started to do some research um, into the psychology and neuroscience literature to find out more about the role of a female sex hormone involvement in you know how women think, feel, and behave, and then how all of that changes on the birth control pill. And I was really surprised to learn that, you know, this is something that has been studied now, um, in some cases for several decades by researchers, but it's just not something that most women are aware of. Like most women aren't ever given this information or told this information. I mean, I didn't have this information and I'm a psychologist um, who studies this stuff and I was on the pill. And so um, I felt an obligation to start this conversation with women um, so that way, you know, all of us, when we're making decisions about our health, can do so with our eyes wide open, knowing what the trade-offs are that we're making um, when we choose to be on or off of the birth control pill. Um, and then also, you know, to allow us to be able to um, sort of better shape our birth control pill choices if we choose to be on the birth control pill and sort of know what to be looking out for in terms of the types of issues that we know that the birth control pill can cause in terms of uh, psychological functioning. So uh, as a lot of women with, that are listening know, the birth control pill is used as a type of therapy for women with PCOS. And I think we're often told, um, you know, actually a lot of women aren't told, but, you know, women with PCOS have an increased risk of uh, blood clots or uh, the birth control pill may cause nutrient deficiencies or increase insulin resistance. But some of the ways that 
the the pill can actually affect our brains and our and our hormones we're not told and and that's really why i wanted you to come on the show today to um, not to say that birth control pill is bad per se, but to give you the information or give us the information that we need to make an informed decision. Um, right. So I was wondering if you could kind of go, there's just so much in your book, so we can't tackle it all in this um, short podcast. And I really uh, encourage women to pick up a copy of it. It's on Amazon. Um, but maybe we could go through some of them. Um, the, why don't you just go through and mention the different areas in your book that you talk about how the pill impacts a woman's health? Right. So, you know, women's sex hormones um, have a really pervasive role in orchestrating the um, activities of the brain. And, you know, one of the big reasons for this, of course, is that, you know, we were shaped by the process of evolution by selection. Um, and that is a process that uh, sort of selects for traits that help to promote successful reproduction. And because of this, because reproduction is sort of at the heart of um, ev the evolutionary process, um, sex hormones have a hand in a lot of what our brain is doing. Um, they influence so many different processes, and there's hormone receptors all over the place in the brain. And because of this, um, the impact of the birth control pill um, on how women think, feel, and behave ends up sort of being a lot more broad than most women probably have ever taken into consideration. And just to give some ideas about some of the areas that um, the birth control pill has either been shown to have an impact on, um, you know, sort of psychological functioning and some areas where the research isn't out there yet, but there's every reason to believe that the birth control pill um, influences women's psychological functioning just because we know that women's sex hormones influence functioning in these areas. Um, you know, I talk about in the book that there's a lot of research now indicating that the birth control pill can influence who we are attracted to. So research finds, for example, that women who are on the birth control pill tend to prefer somewhat less masculine male faces um, than women who are not on the birth control pill. And the reason for this is that women's levels of estrogen when they're on the birth control pill are kept very low. And estrogen presence is actually found to increase the preference um, that women or the priority that women place on cues to testosterone presence in men. So when estrogen levels are relatively high, um, women have a heightened preference for cues to testosterone presence. And this is something that um, is believed to function to help women identify partners who have, you know, quote unquote, good genes, um, because we know that testosterone is a cue of immunocompetence, so of good health, um, just because it's immunosuppressive. And so only men whose bodies are sort of healthy enough to be able to produce um, high levels of testosterone, despite the cost that it takes or that it um, sort of inflicts on the immune system, have it. And so the idea is, you know, um, that women, when estrogen is high, which is something that typically occurs in the cycle, when conception is possible, that this increases women's attunement to cues um, associated with high genetic quality, including um, 
cues to testosterone presence, and also cues to genetic compatibility, which is something that um, women are able to determine um, via cues um, that are based on body scent. Um, so there's research also indicating that women who are on the birth control pill um, aren't able to detect some of these scent-based cues of genetic compatibility that we know can direct mate choice um, in naturally cycling women, um, particularly when they're at high fertility across the cycle. Um, and, uh, you know, all, what all of this means is that, you know, women who are choosing their partners when they're on the birth control pill might be prioritizing different types of cues or traits um, compared to um, what women would choose if they were the naturally cycling version of themselves. Um, and this is something, of course, that is pretty provocative because it suggests that, you know, this could, of course, influence women's um, sort of relationship quality um, if they eventually uh, go off of the birth control pill. Um, so we know that. We know that, the, that it can influence um, attraction. It can influence it, you know, it, of course, um, influences sexual motivation. There's a ton of research, um, you know, linking uh, women's hormonal contraceptive use and um, sexual dysfunction. So that they tend to be less interested in sex. They have fewer sexual fantasies. They have more problems with sexual functioning. Um, there's research linking birth control pill use to issues with the stress response and less of an ability to cope with and respond um, to stressors in an effective way. There's research linking birth control pill use to issues with self-regulation. So we have a paper right now that's about to get published showing that women who are on the birth control pill have a harder time exercising self-control that's required to do things that they don't want to be doing. Um, and this is also consistent with some of the structural-based differences that we see um, in the brains of women who are using the birth control pill compared to not. Right? We know that it influences mood, um, anxiety levels. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but there's, um, you know, given the sort of relatively uh, short time that I um, have to talk to you all, um, you know, I don't know which of these types of findings you'd like me to elaborate on, if any, but um, the, the effects, sort of the takeaway here is that the effects of the pill on the brain go far beyond um, what's happening with your ovaries right, and far beyond the sort of quote-unquote mood-related side effects that our doctor will sometimes talk to us about. Um, instead, it influences, you know, the day-to-day -day operations of what your brain is doing, and because of this, it touches almost, you know, every aspect of psychological functioning in women's lives. So in your book, you tell some stories about, um, about women who, um, I'm thinking in particular, Olivia and Annalise. Mm -hmm. um, from chapter five mm -hmm. and how, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about their story, how things, uh, the way they viewed their partners changed, um, when, when they were, came off of the pill that I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it is really fascinating. So one of the stories that, um, you know, as I was doing the research for my book and, um, you know, I, of course, in addition to going in the research literature and, um, you know, reporting on the results of these scientific studies of large samples of women, um, I also talked to a lot of women um, about their experiences with birth control pill um, and did some qualitative research. 
And so in the book, I provide, um, you know, these composite snapshots. I create these composite characters, which are really the create, it's really multiple women's stories kind of all wrapped into one. So that way I'm not um, sort of compromising anybody's anonymity. Um, But one story that comes up over and over again, when you talk to women um, who were on the birth control pill and then went off of the birth control pill um, is this issue of no longer feeling attracted to their partner. Um, and sometimes this takes, you know, the form of no longer being attracted to their partner because they don't like the way that he smells. Um, because all of a sudden, you know, the birth control pill, one thing that we know that it does is it prevents this monthly surge in estrogen. And it keeps estrogen levels very low across the cycle. And estrogen is like miracle grow in your brain. It causes new dendritic spines to pop up all over the place um, in the brain. And it makes you more sensitive to your environment. And so when women are on the pill, you know, they're not experiencing these, you know, sort of changes in, um, you know, sensory acuity that would allow them to detect fine-grained differences um, between men, including scent-based cues. And so I've heard from women talking about, you know, they, they no longer like the smell of their partner, just and it's part of this general increase in sensory acuity that generally goes on. A lot of women report after they go off of the birth control pill that they notice all smells more than they used to, and they become more bothered by them. Um, and so I've heard from women who they don't like the scent of their partner. I've just heard from women who just don't really feel so much attraction to their partner um, as they used to. And I've also heard from women who it's not that they feel less attraction to their partner than they used to, but instead it's that all of a sudden they're experiencing intense sexual attraction toward other men. So a lot, a lot of these women's stories take a very similar form, and the form is of this. It's of a woman who, you know, she's with her partner and thinks that she doesn't have much of a sex drive, right? So she thinks that I'm just one of these women who doesn't think about sex very often, and, you know, and I'll have sex with my partner sometimes, and that's fine, but, you know, it's not all that important to me. And then they go off with the birth control pill, and they are still feeling the same way about their current partner, but now all of a sudden you know, flash forward a few months after going off the birth control pill, and they're starting to notice men that they actually are sort of what, what I would call like chemically attracted to, right? Like men who they're, they're just like intensely sexually attracted to. And it's sort of reawakened, you know, their, their sort of sexual desire is reawakened, and they're finding that the target of this sexual desire isn't necessarily their partner, um, because this isn't somebody that they chose during a period in their life when um, those were the types of qualities that they were prioritizing. Um, and so I've um, talked to several women who have experienced um, romantic breakups um, or were engaged in um, extra pair relationships um, because of some of these issues where they either didn't feel attraction to their partner or they were finding that their sort of low level attraction that they had to their partner was being almost, you know, totally overwhelmed um, by this newly awakened desire that they had um, that seemed to be sort of directing them toward other men. And then you also tell uh, a story about a 22 year old named Mm -hmm. Katie that's sort of Mm -hmm. on the flip side. She goes on the pill um, after being in a relationship 
um, while being off of it and things changed. Maybe you could tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is another story that, that you, uh, that I also um, heard echoed in, um, in a number of women's accounts of their experiences with the birth control pill and how it influenced sex and attraction. And this is the case where a woman is in a relationship with a man and, you know, and she feels like she has no sex drive at all. And, you know, she doesn't um, just doesn't ever think about it and isn't really feeling all that attracted to her partner um, and just really doesn't, you know, isn't into it. And um, in the story with, um, you know, Katie that I tell in the book, you know, she was in her twenties and she went and saw her doctor about this saying, you know, I'm really concerned about the fact that I don't seem to have any sort of sexual motivation at all. And, and her doctor told her that it was something that was normal. Um, it, that once you're in a long-term relationship that you should expect sexual desire to plateau and that she just needed to soldier on. And um, eventually she and her boyfriend ended up breaking up in part because they had this like, you know, intense friction that was caused by the fact that she never really felt like having sex and it was making him feel undesirable and it was causing conflict in their relationship. And then after they broke up, she went off of the pill um, because she wasn't having sex with anybody anymore. And then um, she encountered her ex-boyfriend at a Starbucks and, um, was just intensely attracted to him. And she just couldn't understand how it was that she could ever sort of have not been attracted to him um, because she just felt so intensely attracted to him. And they ended up getting back together. Um, And she was on then non-hormonal contraception. And, um, you know, she sort of noted in a lot of women that I talked to noted, um, and this is something that I think is really important for women because I think that we have a tendency to, downplay the role that um, sort of um, our our sexuality and and sexual behavior um, can contribute to relationship satisfaction. Um, But, you know, one thing that she had said and that many women have said is, you know, that um, it is amazing how much of a difference it makes um, to the quality of a relationship um, to be having sex with your partner and being attracted to your partner and, um, and having, you know, and having that sort of closeness. Um, and so, yeah, so you hear the opposite story too. So, you know, all of these things sort of point in the direction that, you know, the birth control pill can influence our relationship and sexual psychology in some pretty important and, you know, life sort of changing ways. And, um, and it's really important, I think, that women have this information, not to scare them away from the birth control pill, because I don't, you know, I think that there's still a definite place in the world for the pill, um, but just rather so that way they know what to look out for and they can strategize um, within the context of choosing relationships, but also inhabiting the relationships that they're in and sort of understanding whether or not they're on a birth control pill that's working for them. Yeah, I mean, it just creates a... a- real level of awareness. Mm -hmm. So if you are having issues in your relationship and things have changed, you maybe you can pinpoint it to going on or off the pill. Um, Right. And, And, you know, because another like really important point to make with all of this is that there's also, you know, several like tons of women who report no such issues Mm -hmm. on the birth control pill. And so it's really, you know, it's really about finding the pill that's going to work right for you. 
um, because clearly this isn't something that's always going to happen to every woman on every pill. And so if you know what to look out for, um, the hope is that if things seem not to be working for you, you can go and try a new birth control pill. Yeah, I want to talk about that um, in a minute. But before we get into that, well, I thought you did a great job with breaking down the different types of pills and the generation of pills, which mm-hmm. I want you to talk about. But I, but, but I just want you to, um, I want to comment on one uh, kind of follow-up piece on this sexual attraction piece of the pill. Um, And you talk about research suggests that the impact of pill um, on things related to sex must cut both ways, potentially making men less interested with you when you're when you're on the pill. And maybe you could talk about that. That I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, so because we, and also men, so men and women, you know, we have been sort of, our psychology has been honed um, by the process of evolution by selection to do things that are going to help promote gene transmission. Um, Just because traits that, you know, get passed down from one generation to the next tend to persist, and traits that don't, don't. (laughs) And so um, because of this, men have been, their mating psychology has been honed by natural selection to be really sensitive to cues associated with conception risk in women, because over the course of evolutionary history, you know, men who were tuned in to cues of estrogen presence and then chose those women as partners and had sex with them, they would have likely passed down a greater number of genes than men who were not sensitive to those cues. And this is my way of just saying that we know that men are really wired um, to be maximally attracted to women when Um, when they exhibit cues to estrogen presence. Um, And there's a great deal of research indicating that this is the the case, that men prefer the scent of women um, at times in the cycle when estrogen is dominant. They um, prefer the appearance of women when estrogen is dominant. Um, You know, women feel sexier themselves and so are behaving in a more sexy, flirtatious way when estrogen is dominant. Um, estrogen does, you know, it attracts men. And, um, you know, whether we want this to be true or not, it's, um, there's a lot of research indicating that this is the case. Um, And so what this means, of course, is that when women are on the birth control pill, and estrogen is being kept very low, um, that women aren't enjoying these same benefits that come from estrogen presence in terms of how attractive they are to partners. And, um, and there's research that suggests that this is the case, that, um, when, that men do find women maximally desirable um, just across, you know, almost every modality you can imagine, their appearance, their scent, um, sort of their level of, you know, engagement in terms of flirtatiousness um, when estrogen is high compared to when it is low and, the, and when estrogen is high compared to when women are on the birth control pill. And so, you know, part of women's sexual mojo um, comes from estrogen. And in fact, I would say, you know, a large portion of um, like sexual mojo is fueled by estrogen presence. And, um, you know, for women who are naturally cycling, um, if you kind of keep track of how you're feeling um, and, you know, how people are responding to you at um, high and low levels of fertility across the cycle, you can sort of see this for yourself. Most women feel sort of you know, attuned to the world, like, you know, I've heard women describe it as like feeling like a sexual tigress <laughs> when estrogen is high compared to when it's low. And so when you 
are masking this variability, you know, even though it's amazing at preventing pregnancy, um, it also sort of prevents women from being able to capitalize on what is perhaps, you know, the greatest tool in our arsenal in terms of what makes us desirable to partners. Um, and again, this isn't to say that this is something that it should be of all, int- you know, of interest to all women, um, but uh, like a lot of women care about this. And, mm-hmm. um, and so this is something, again, that's worth knowing um, as you're sort of strategizing your use of the birth control pill is that it's going to sort of, it's going to kind of rob you of this sort of mid-cycle sexiness boost that, that you mm-hmm. get um, that comes from um, high levels of estrogen presence. I just find that so interesting, but yeah, let's, so, it so is. I know, I know. Um, but I want to switch to the di- different types of hormonal contraceptives and you have two fantastic um, charts in your book. You have one that lists out all of the different brands of um, hormonal birth control and how and what um, generation it is, and then how much progestin is it, how much estrogen. And this was like, when I, when I looked at it, it was a huge aha moment for me, because in my 20s, I was on um, Lostrin, which I did really well on. I mean, I, I felt good on it. Um, it. It worked for me. But then after uh, trying, after having uh, one child and trying to get back onto it, my doctor said, okay, you need to, since you have PCOS, you need to be on Yasmin. And I tried to go on Yasmin and I felt horrible, but it's um, like the increase in progestin, it's like two milligrams um, over the lestrin. And that I'm mm-hmm. sure that that had something to do with, with why I couldn't tolerate it, but I had no idea that there, you know, that I, sh- I should be kind of, trying to figure out the right one for me. And my doctor never told me that. Um, So I was wondering, and then the other chart that's fantastic, and we're not going to probably get uh, a chance to to dive into the mood related issues and the pill, but you have a great um, chart about the increased risk of depression on different pills. And it was really very interesting. Um, But why don't you just talk uh, explain to us the different generations of pills, what that means, and mm-hmm. um, kind of maybe how to go about troubleshooting if if one pill doesn't work for you. Right. Yeah. So this is really important, and um, I actually um, just to sort of let um, your listeners know, I have a really kind of cool um, article about this called "How to Choose the Least Worst Birth Control." <laughs> Um, that sort of talks about this issue of um, of uh, troubleshooting, and it's and it's on my uh, website. Um, oh, well, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, too. yeah, but it's just this. You know, a lot of times our doctors they just like put us on a pill and they tell us, okay, well, I think that this is the one that's going to work for you, and like we don't really know a whole lot about what we're being given, and and we don't know what else is out there, and we don't know why we're being given what we're given. Um, and so in the book, and this is your brain and birth control, I um, provide a chart. Um, that t- lists all the major brands of the pill that are out there, the most frequently used ones um, in the U.S., um, and tell um, the reader, like, hey, this is what is in your pill, and this is the generation of progestin that's in it, and here's how much estrogen is in it. Um, and I also provide a chart giving the differences between the different types of progestins, because there's four different 
sort of types of progestins out there. They're called four different generations just because they came out sort of in serial order. The first group, they called those the first generation, second generation, and so on. And they're different from one another. And they stimulate different receptors um, in the brain because most of them, you know, these, these progestins, which is the synthetic progesterone that is in um, these, you know, types of birth control, they, um, you know, they aren't made out of progesterone. They're made from something else. And um, in a lot of cases, they're made from testosterone. And they're just structurally modified um, in ways that um, sort of cause them to also um, stimulate progesterone receptors, which is how they um, prevent ovulation from occurring. Um, but because they're different from one another, they're going to do different things in the body. I mean, one of the big takeaways from the book is that, you know, hormones influence what the brain does. And so, you know, if we take that thesis seriously, which um, I you know, recommend that people do because it's absolutely true. <laughs> and that means that these different formulations of the pill, which differ not only in the types of progestins that are used, which means it's going to be stimulating different receptors in your brain. Um, they also differ in the ratios of the progestins relative to the estrogens. And so what, you know, the specific combination that you're put on is going to influence you in different ways than if you go on a different formulation of it. And this means that it can be really idiosyncratic and it can be really hard to predict because the science isn't yet in a place where we can make really solid predictions about who's going to respond what way to which pill. Um, you know, a lot of times women end up having to troubleshoot. And so I offer in the book, um, you know, this list to at least let women know like, hey, here's the generation of progestin in what you're on and here's the sort of dosage of it relative to the, the synthetic estrogen in there. Um, so if you're on something and it doesn't feel right to you, then you go to your doctor and you try something else. And you can even say like, uh, you know, I see that this, you know, this is a, because if you, if you went on gas, they put you on a fourth generation progestin, right? Which is made out of something completely different than um, the loestrin, which I think is a third generation um, um, progestin. I think on your chart, I think it says first. Oh, is it a first? Just, okay, yeah. The first. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, my chart's right. <laughs> my, my chart has been like intensely researched and, and triple checked, um, triple fact checked. So, I mean, you were on two totally different hormonal, I mean, you had two totally different hormonal profiles, um, one versus the other one. And, um, and so, you know, it's going to make you feel different. And, um, and so like, if you are on one that works and you know that you tolerate a first generation progestin really well, then if you're going on something different, I would try to stay in that same sort of space. Um, or, you know, exactly. You can always I know it's, yeah, so I mean, oh, that, ahead. that chart is like worth its weight in gold. I think for, a, you know, a lot of women that feel like they need to be on the pill, but are really struggling. Um, with getting the right one for them. Right. Yeah. No, and that was my hope is that like that chart, um, and just the information about the different progestins mm -hmm. um, will really allow women to take the bull by the horns when it comes to their birth control um, prescription. Because, you know, the birth control pill, you know, for all of the things that it does to us psychologically, it's still the best thing on the market right now for many of us. And, um, and you know, women should have as much information as possible to be able to troubleshoot their options. Because the good news is that there's almost like a hundred different formulations of sort of hormonal combinations that are out there. And so if women <laughs> want to be on it, I mean, it seems like overwhelming, but it's, mm -hmm. it's 
shouldn't be if you sort of troubleshoot using um, the chart that I, that I offer in the book. Um, you know, it shouldn't, like, women should be able to find something that allows them to feel at home in their own bodies um, and if they troubleshoot. So you close out the book with a letter to your daughter. Uh, we both have, uh, I have a daughter who's almost 11. I know you're, when you were writing the book, your daughter was 11. Um, and my daughter may have PCOS. So there, there was a study that just came out that I read today that women with PCOS um, have a five times uh, more likely chance of passing it on to their, their daughters. So, oh, wow. um, you know, this, this uh, topic of, of the birth control pill, I'm sure is going to come up um, at some point for my daughter. I will tell you, um, Dr. Sarah, that there are a lot of girls with PCOS that are getting prescribed the pill at age like 15, 16, um, which mm-hmm. is really concerning to me. Um, but I, I would, I would love for you to just sort of leave us um, with a little uh, just synopsis of that chapter. You know, what, what would you tell your daughter? Yeah. I mean, uh, I will say this, that um, especially with young girls, when their brains are still developing, so, um, you know, like like 19 and younger, um, my sort of conversation with my daughter would be, you know, if, they're, if you are not having sex um, and you want to go on the birth control pill for, you know, other reasons that, um, or you're not managing something like PCOS, or you're, you know, you're just trying to like, you know, have fewer periods or lighter periods or manage a skin related issue. Um, my recommendation would be um, to try to avoid going on hormonal contraception as long as possible until after your brain is done developing. Um, and the reason for this is just that there is almost no research out there indicate like telling us what um, happens when you take the birth control pill when the brain is still developing. I actually just read a study um, showing that taking the pill um, prior to age 19 um, actually seems to now be associated with an increased vulnerability to depression in adulthood, even among women who aren't on the pill anymore. Um, and so, you know, th- there's every reason to believe, given the role that sex hormones play in terms of post-pubertal brain development, to believe that going on the pill during the pubertal transition into adulthood is going to influence the way that the brain is sort of structured um, because that's, you know, hormones play a role in terms of determining the structure of the brain. Um, And so my recommendation would be that we try to keep our daughters off of hormonal birth control, um, you know, up until they're like, you know, older than 19 if possible. um, If, you know, if they're not doing it for like really important reasons. Now, all of this being said, you know, if my daughter, for example, is 16 and sexually active, and like, let's say that we tried the non-hormonal copper IUD, which would be my probably first line of defense with her to try to prevent pregnancy, if she didn't tolerate that well, because some women don't, they don't like it, it is physically uncomfortable for them or causes profuse bleeding, um, I would put her on the birth control pill if she was sexually active and not likely to be effectively using barrier methods, which of course have a higher failure rate just because they aren't always used um, every time, right? Teenagers tend to be sort of irresponsible as we all know. 
Um, and, you know, so it, it's one of these things where it's like, there's never going to be a cut and dry answer. Um, because it's always going to be a man, it's always going to be a, a situation where you're going to want to manage the risk relative to the benefits. Um, and so, I mean, I would just say that the risk, and, and we know from the research that the risk of suicide risk and um, increased uh, risk of depression is much higher in women who are 19 and younger and put on the pill. Um, you know, managing that risk um, against the benefit, I think, is really important for parents to think about when they're talking with their with their daughters and um, and just sort of understanding that if you put your daughter on the birth control pill while her brain is still developing, there is a little bit of a question mark there. Now, I don't think that it's dangerous and terrible. And as I write in the book, I was on the birth control pill when I was 18. And so my brain was still developing. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't think that um, it's done anything terrible to me. You know, I have no, I, no idea what the alternative would be, but, um, you know, I don't, I'm not afraid of the birth control pill with younger girls. I'm just more cautious with mm -hmm. it with younger girls. And, and it's good to know about the associated risk of depression and, you know, kind of what to look for. Yeah, absolutely. It. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to thank you for writing this book. It, you could tell that it was a labor of love and um, it's, you know, it's just so important for us to sort of understand the risks outside of, um, you know, nutrient deficiencies and blood clots, uh, like I mentioned earlier. So uh, you can purchase the book on Amazon. And I would love to know how we can learn more about your work, Dr. Sarah. Yeah, um, uh, follow me on uh, social media. Um, I'm on all the platforms, probably most active on um, Instagram. And uh, my handle is at Sarah E. Hill, PhD. And um, that's Sarah with an H. Great. And we and you have a blog. We will um, definitely link to um, that article that you had mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, yes. And uh, so check out check out Dr. Sarah's blog as well. So Great. thank you again for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I look forward to being with you again soon. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us on the PCOS Diva podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you liked this episode, remember to subscribe to PCOS Diva on iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to this show. And if you have a minute please leave me a quick review on iTunes because I love to hear from you. If you think someone else might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share it with a friend or family member so she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Just enter your email at pcusdiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye-bye.